Okay, thank you everybody for coming. Tonight's shiur is Leilu Nishmat Miriam Bat Bracha. We are continuing where we left off last week, which was the introduction to the early history of Kiddush, where we discussed how Kiddush developed from the Mitzvah Seide Oraita into the liturgical prayer and the liturgical elements we know today. Namely, we have the Kiddush Bebet Knesset, which is very famous, uh, meaning doing Kiddush in the synagogue after Arvit, as well as Kiddush. Uh, we have the Kiddush uh, when we come home from Shul, we sing and uh, recite the Kiddush before the Shabbat Seuda. So last week we discussed the history, this week we're going to discuss the practical. We'll take a look at uh, the Kiddush as people say it today in the Sidur, and we're going to try to cover as much as we can from the, the Siddur and see how it all developed, how it came into the Siddur the way it is today. Now, as with many tefillot that we've seen before, sometimes a tefillah will begin as something very elemental, like a simple bracha, one or two brachot, and then it will evolve into an entire uh, section of the Siddur over time. And this happened, for example, we saw recently, we, uh, we saw an example of this with Kriyat Shema Al-Hamita, where it originally was a short parashav Shema, along with a bracha of Hamapil, and then it became a tremendous uh, five-page, six-page ordeal on the Siddur over time as different rabbis in Mekubalim in the past 500 years added different suggestions as to what to say. The same is true of the Kiddush. The Kiddush began with the Bori Pri HaGefen and the Bracha of Asher Kedeshanu Misotav Eratzavanu. It began with those Brachot. However, it evolved into a much greater <coughs> uh, section of the Sidur with many more components that are worth analyzing. Now, a key part of understanding the history of how Kiddush evolved into the, the, the Sidur into the Sidur that we know today, and to all the parts that, you know, Shalom Aleichem, and Azamar B'Shvachin, and Ribon Halamim, and all the little parts of Kiddush that people are familiar with, <clears throat> there's a key piece of information that most people today uh, are lacking. And that is that in the original Sidurim, the handwritten Sidurim, there was a section of, of some of these manuscripts where between the Friday night, somewhere between the Friday night section and the Shabbat morning section, they would have a section which they would entitle Tikkune Shabbat, right? The Tikkunim, the, the different uh, extra Kabbalistic rectifications of the Shabbat. And for a time, that section of the Sidur simply represented the section of Lechadodi and Kabbalat Shabbat and Mizmor Shir Liyom Shabbat as we know it today. And, and we mentioned before how Kabbalat Shabbat evolved from multiple suggestions and insertions from, from different Mikubalim. So that section of the Sidur became known as the Tikkune Shabbat. As time went on, the manuscripts evolved that section of Tikkune Shabbat to include anything that was uh, added to the Sidur recently. So it wasn't simply the, uh, the, the parts about the Chadudi of Kabbalat Shabbat, it was also the extra parts of, uh, let's say, the Mishnayot, which were read after the Kiddush or before the Kiddush of, of the Friday night meal. So there was an entire section of the Sidur which began 
to be named Tikkunei Shabbat. All of the extra recent things of the Mikubalim were in that section of the Sidur. As time went on and the printing press was invented, somebody had the brilliant idea of publishing a separate book called Tikkunei Shabbat. And this was the equivalent today of like uh, Zemirot Shabbats, right? We have like a million and five of these books, these little uh, pamphlets of the Birkonim. And you could buy one from anybody. They're randomly put together. And not always, I'm, they're very rarely uh, would one put some thought into a Zemirot Shabbat. They just, you know, get a few Sidurim, look at what they want to put in, make it look fancy and make it sellable for a wedding. Uh, the same was true back then. The printer saw a golden opportunity to sell a lot of these pamphlets, and the Zemirot Shabbat became a wildfire success of a book. In the early 1600s, uh, sorry, the Tikkunei Shabbat became a success, and the printers made a lot of money and a lot of uh, success by selling these books that had all the the elements, like, uh, uh, what's, it, what's it called? Eshet uh, Chayil, and and uh, the Lechadodi, and all the parts that were added by the Mekubalim to make uh, the, the Bameh Madlikin, the Mishnayot, you name it, it was in it. It was very beautiful. Some of them had pictures, uh, like artistry, with, uh, uh, if you look, I think, on the Hebrew books, you search for Tikkunei Shabbat, they'll have one or two copies with uh, very cute artwork and all sorts of nice calligraphy. And as time went on, these pamphlets began to evolve and contain things that other ones uh, contained, and eventually this uh, proliferation of these pamphlets spread them across Europe, it spread them across, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, Northern Africa, and it spread them to the, even to the Middle East. So these pamphlets, these manuscripts called Tikkunei Shabbat, were responsible for a lot of the uh, popularity of many of the elements of the Kiddush that we know of today. The most famous one, which we'll begin with, is called Shalom Aleichem, everybody knows the song, or one of the six songs uh, for Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Shalom, Malachi Elion, Mimelach Malachi Amlachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Almost every Jew is familiar with this uh, poem, which people sing at the, at the beginning of the Kiddush. The truth is, we have no idea who wrote this. We do know from the Leket Yosher that, and from the Shla that there was a minhag uh, among some rabbis to greet the malachim that would accompany them home with shul. So the first evidence we have of such a tefillah would be in the Sidur Hashla, and similar uh, uh, attestations that there were rabbis who would, uh, so to speak, uh, address the angels that accompanied them home from shul with a tefillah when they came home from shul. The first printed, uh, the first printed version of Shalom Aleichem uh, occurred in the year 1641 in a Tikkunei Shabbat that was printed in Prague. But before that, we don't have any evidence of a uh, Tikkunei Shabbat, so to speak, from, uh, 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 we don't have any evidence of a Shalom Aleichem poem, so to speak, before that time. We don't know who wrote it, we don't know how it was written. Many researchers assume that it was a work of, of, of the Kabbalists, but personally I have my doubts, simply because we only first find it in Prague, and second of all, most of the precedence for such a tefillah is actually Ashkenazic, so I'm not 100% sure that this was invented in Eretz Yisrael and then transported to the printers in Prague, but uh, there's little evidence that I have. It's more, this would be more work for bibliographers, people who actually, people who actually have the capability 
to look up uh, the, uh, the many, many manuscripts of the Tikkunei Shabbat itself. So uh, perhaps I'll share the screen here for a moment uh, just to show you the language of, uh, of the Shla. Uh, apologies if this takes a second. Sidur HaShla. Uh, here we are. Okay, and as I said before, some of the early Sidurim had a section called Tikkunei Shabbat, and this was true of the Sidur HaShla, which was from the, from the 1500s and the early 1600s. So this is the section in the Sidur of the Shla called Tikkunei Shabbat, and eventually they became their own, their own pamphlets. So the Shla has a suggestion to say a, a, a tefillah to greet the angels when he came home, and this is based on the Gemara that we saw in Brachot, in, sorry, in Shabbat, which says that when a person uh, comes home from Shul, there are two angels that accompany him. One is a good angel and one is an evil angel. So the Gemara over there says on Daf Kufi Tetamubet that if the, the Malachim find the house is prepared beautifully for Shabbat, then the, the Malach Hatov puts his hand on the head of the person who he brought home and he gives him a bracha that so shall it be beautiful the next week and the malach hara has to uh says amen balkorcho against his will and if the opposite is true the malach hara says so shall it be the next week and the, and, and the uh the malach hatov has to say amen balk against his will so that's the gemara and dafkufu tetam a bit in 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 bracha in shabbat which we saw before about these two angels that accompany a person home from Kiddush, and the Shla had his own version. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Shalom Bevoachem LeShalom, Kasher Tziva Etchem Adonenu Hamelach Hakavod VaKadosh Adon HaShalom. This was the uh, the Shla's own personal tefillah that he that he probably wrote himself to or you know something similar. Ksatanashim uh, Orimze to uh, to to welcome the Shabbat when he came home. Within about thirty years of his death, we had already printed, we already had printed uh, versions of the poem of Shalom Aleichem, and the author is still uh, anonymous. So now why it became so popular is anybody's guess. Uh, there's plenty of theories. Some say it was, some would suggest it's the Tikkunei Shabbat which made it uh, so popular. Some would suggest it's the songs that make it so popular. Uh, you know, everybody, once once you find a good song to go along with it, it's, it's really going to stick. Uh, and it, the fact that it became so popular is one mystery, um, but there's uh, many problems with any history you give, because the the tendency of uh, Jew, the, of Jewish people, whether they're they're Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, is to thoroughly reject intercession. This is called uh, intercession or intercessory prayer. We don't really like uh, reaching out to angels or saints. This is not really something we do. We don't talk to angels. We don't talk to saints. And typically, prayers that contain any form of intercession are very quickly rejected. There are quite a few exceptions, like Machnisei Rachamim and uh, similar prayers, which sound like you're addressing angels. But by far and large, uh, prayers or or poems which address angels directly were thoroughly rejected. So it is quite surprising that a poem like this did achieve the success it did. And any account, uh, any historical account for why it became so popular would have to account for this. The Yaivitz himself uh, gives sharp criticism for this poem. Some have said that the Gra gave sharp criticism, but it's not clear if he actually ever did. 
Um, and the the Ivitz criticizes it on many grounds. First of all, it, it's 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 addressing angels. Second of all, who are we to add things to the to the sidur? And 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 the third of all, why would you say mi melech malchei The mem doesn't make any sense. Others argued that mi melech meant they were sent from the melech malchei hamlachim. And various other problems. Some say, why would you say tzetchem l'shalom? I think even the Ivis asked this. Why would you tell them to leave? So many different uh, editions of the Tikkunei Shabbat were published. Some put tzetchem l'shalom in parentheses. Some, uh, like Svardi ones, added b'shiftachem l'shalom. And it, it began such a marvelous, uh, charming history of being edited and, and bracketed and parentheses throughout the many uh, Zemirot Shabbat and Tikkunei Shabbat publications. Again, today we don't have the Tikkunei Shabbat pamphlets, but, um, or Kuntrasim, but today we have many uh, benchers or birkonim, which effectively uh, serve the same purpose. There was also an, an, uh, edit, an, an edit made, which was to modify it from Malachi HaShalom to Malachi HaSharet, uh, which some Kubalim uh, rejected because they are specifically the Malachi HaShalom, specific Malachim, not Malachi HaSharet. You don't have the entire court of angels coming to you on Shabbos night, therefore they, they, they were adamant, it's Malachi HaShalom, etc., etc. A lot of discussion around, around this singular poem. And all we know is that it's very recent and uh, very remarkable in its virality. So to move on slightly, there is another section added to the Sidur known as Ribon Kol Olamim, Adon Kol Neshemot, Adon HaShalom, Melech Abir, Melech Baruch, very long thing, very long prayer, uh, asking Hashem for many, um, many bakashot, many beautiful bakashot on Shabbat. And as you can imagine, for asking for bakashot on Shabbat didn't always go over well with the post scheme. However, this tefillah does already find a place, a shorter version of it already exists in the Sidur of the Shlaz. I just showed you, this is a, quite, a, quite a shorter version, um, but it clearly existed already in the late 1500s. Therefore, um, we know that it's early. We don't know how early or who exactly wrote it, but it's probably around the 1500s when it was first written, and eventually it became embellished and embellished and embellished, on and on and on, until it uh, attained a, a huge, huge form. It, what originally started out as a quick tefillah after addressing the Malachim, turned into a much larger tefillah. And some people today say it, some people don't. The Ivitz frowns on it. He doesn't like any adding anything, but at the end of the day, a lot of people do say it. Another curious addition to the Kabbalah Shabbat is Eshet Chayil. I could not find an early source for this. I could not find a solid answer as to why it was added to the Kabbalah Shabbat. None of the authorities that I consulted with we're able to provide a satisfactory answer as to why definitely it showed up in the Kabbalat Shabbat. The first place I found it, again, is the Sidur Hashla, who does uh, at, recommend it in his Tikkun Shabbat. And the reason he gives is very simple. I can actually show it again, I think, if I have it quickly enough. And he basically says, uh, let me read the, the language at least, um, Right, and then immediately a person should say the parsha of Eshet Chayel right from the end of Mishlei, which corresponds to the Shechina, which is um, hinted Kabbalistically, people know that Eshet Chayel refers to the Shechina, which is the, the, the holiness of Shabbat. 
Pesukim. It has 22 Pesukim. Keneged Chafbet Sinorot Shalmala, which correspond to the 22, uh, quote, uh, let's call them, quote unquote, pipes, which uh, transfer Shefa from Shemaim Shebaadhem Pituchim, Umrikim Shefu Bracham Mehabrichal, Yona Meirosh Kosatirim Vizuhi. Basically, that at this time there is a, a special opening of blessing from the heavens, which comes from the Shekhinah, and the 22 Pesukim correspond to the 22 uh, conduits uh, of that Shefa, of that Bracha, and therefore we say Eshet Chayel at that time. Others gave different explanations. The Eitz Yosef says that Eshet Chayel is actually a, a uh, parak which speaks about the Torah. Chayil is, is Gematria 48, like the 48 uh, ways in which the Torah is, is uh, Nikneh, but it doesn't actually explain why would you say Eshet Chayel, which talks about the Torah on Shabbat night, maybe because the Torah was given on Shabbat, but there's no uh, clear answer. He doesn't give a clear explanation for why saying something uh, about the Torah would make any any difference. If you look at the Midrashim, they all have different opinions in the Midrashim about who Eshet Chayel was written about. Who Was it Shlom HaMelech writing it about his mother, Batsheva, or was it... Um, was it uh, Avram Avinu who wrote it about Sarah Imenu? Was it written about all the Nashim Tzitkaniyot? So we don't know exactly who, who Shlomo HaMelech wrote Eshet Chayel about, but the Kabbalistic significance is definitely there for Shabbat. Um, as for why it became popular, well, we could imagine. First of all, it was published in many, many different versions of the Tikkunei Shabbat. And furthermore, it, became, it, it began to be seen as a recognition of the woman of the household, began to be seen as a recognition for the woman who uh, helped make and prepare and get the, get the Shabbat ready for the family. And so it was seen as the husband's recognition of his wife or the, the children's recognition of their mother. And therefore that made it a very sticky uh, minhag. It's not the kind of thing you could just stop saying one week. If you start saying it, your mom is going to notice if you stop saying it. And therefore... Uh, many kihilot, uh, uh, many people who began saying it, it stuck. And a lot of the minhagim, I should just point out, a lot of the minhagim regarding uh, uh, regarding what people do in their own private homes generally just comes from what their father did and what their father did, whatever his father did. Typically, it goes back to Europe or to or to the Middle East or to North or to Northern Africa, where people developed their own minhagim over the past four hundred years based on whatever sidur or whatever. Tikkunei Shabbat they had in their house. So the next part of many uh, Sidrim or Birkonim you're going to find is at Kinusudata de Mehemuta, Kadisha. This is Aramaic, uh, exactly what it means I won't get into, but this was uh, composed by the Arizal himself. The Arizal says in Shara Kavanot, to recite this formulation. This is basically a, an Aramaic way of saying that we have. Uh, instituted, we have uh, set forth this meal, which this holy meal, which is intended to affect certain Kabbalistic accomplishments, which uh, uh, bring down manifestations of the Shechina. And he has three different formulas for each uh, meal, one for the night meal, one for the Shachrit meal, and one for the evening meal. This is completely his insertion, his suggestion. It's not clear if he meant that the layman should say it as well, but it became very popular for laymen to say it as well, and therefore it's in many, uh, many uh, Berkonim and in many Sidurim, because Darizal himself wrote it. And the same is true of Azamer Bishvachin. Azamer Bishvachin is a piyut, a poem based uh, completely in Aramaic and completely Kabbalistic, 
you'll find some Cedarim are brave enough to translate it, some Cedarim uh, try to avoid it, but the overall gist of it is, again, the uh, the same idea as at Kinusu Data. If you read the, the translations in the in the in the Sidurim, it's about the Shekhinah of Shabbat resting on us on the, the evening meal of Shabbat. And it was written by the Arizal himself. The acrostic is right there. Ani Yitzchak uh, Luria. Ben something. We don't have the rest of it. So that is the, uh, the it's also written directly in the Shara Kavanot, and the Arizal composed it for this Suda. Therefore, it was it's continued to be said till this day by many. If you look in the Shara Kavanot, it actually says that the Arizal's minhag was to say it after he finished eating. However, the Rashash places it before Kiddush, and therefore there's various minhagim. You'll have uh, some Hasidim will put it before Kiddush, and some people like the Chabad will do it after they're done eating the challah. This is where that discrepancy comes from, whether it's Arizal or Rashash, uh, or what Birkon you have. The next element we should discuss, which we find in the Kiddush, is very elemental. This is not from the Gmukubalim, this is from the Rishonim already. And that is Vayichulu. Vayichulu Hashemayim Varetz V'chol Tzva'am. Well, which technically begins Yom HaShishi. But why do we say Vayichulu again? We learned uh, two weeks ago that the Gemara says that we have to say Vayichulu on the night of Shabbat, and we learned that really the Gemara is talking about the tefillah, that we have to say Vayichulu after Arvit. However, uh, there's a mysterious Midrash brought by the Rakeach and other Rishonim that say we have to say Vayichulu three times on the night of Shabbat. So once in the Shmon Esrei, once after the Shmon Esrei, and then once by the Kiddush. While the Rush and the Abu Durham and the Ochot Chaim, they disagree with, they don't bring that Midrash, and instead they say, well, they don't bring that as the halachic reason, the Torah as well, brings the halachic reason for why we say it by Kiddush. He says it's to be motziat b'nei beto. Basically, the women and the children also have an obligation to say Vayichulu once on Shabbat, and therefore you say it at home to fulfill their obligation to say it, to say it once for this reason, for the reasons that we spoke about two weeks ago, um, there's a minhag to stand, as, as we said that by Kiddush, uh, sorry, by Vayichulu, Vayichulu is like an edut, it's a testimony that Hashem created the world. And edim, when they give their testimony, have to stand. Therefore, the minhag became to stand by Vayichulu, and some people stand for the entire Kiddush for that purpose. Originally, most people had the minhag to sit, or to just stand for Vayichulu, and then sit for the bracha of uh, Hagefen and Kiddush. There's a story about Rabbi Klonimus, which is mentioned in the Sidur in the in the Sidur of the Rokeach, where there was one time where he must have finished Monastery late or something, and he forgot to say Vayichulu in Shul. So when Rabbi Klonimus came home, he realized that he forgot to say Vayichulu in Shul. Therefore, when he said Vayichulu by Kiddush, he stood, which was unusual in his family. He stood for Kid- for Vayichulu, but then he sat back down for the Hagefen and for the Kiddush, and he explained to his family that because I forgot it in shul, this one is the main one, and therefore this is the one where I'm doing an edut, this is where I'm doing an actual testimony, and I have to stand. So you could see how this halacha kind of developed and evolved, even though the, even though technically it's 100% permissible to sit by the Kiddush of Shabbat night, people stand out of uh, reverence for this testimony of Ayichulu. That's how that came to be. And again, th- th- that's... A bit of a halachic discussion, uh, whether or not to sit or stand, so I'm going to avoid the 
other aspects of that, which you could find in Shulchan Aruch, Reish Ayin Aleph. Um, now, we don't just say Vayichula Shmaim Ba'aretz. Many of the, of, the, of the Sidurim will also add Yom Hashishi, or Vahi Erev Vahi Voker, Yom Hashishi. Why does it add Yom Hashishi? So, if you think about it, it makes absolutely no sense. Yom Hashishi, Vayichula Shmaim Ba'aretz, what does that even mean? The words don't make sense. So Yom Hashishi is the last two words of the, of the Pasuk prior. And the Arizal recommends saying these two words before for two reasons. First of all, because Yom Hashishi Vayichul HaShemayim is a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He, which is uh, the, the, the name of Hashem. And another reason is because if you add up all the words between Vayichulu and the, the Brachot of, of Kiddush, it, end, it equals 72 words if you add the words Yom Hashishi. And 72 words uh, represents the Shekhinah, it's the shame of Ayin Bet, and therefore uh, there's a significance in that, and the Ramah already um, writes this halacha in the in Shulchan Aruch, Reishayin Aleph. The Ramah says that the minhag is to add the words Yom HaShishi. Some people felt uncomfortable saying something that didn't make sense, and therefore they, under their breath, they added the words Vahi Erev, Vahi Boker, and then they out loud say Yom HaShishi, just because they don't want to say a pasuk that makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense to say, on the sixth day, like it doesn't actually flow. So that's why they added Vahi Erev, Vahi Boker. Some of the poskim mentioned, by the way, that it's not really so great to do this because you're saying half a pasuk. Why would you say half a pasuk? And uh, most poskim permit it based on various grounds, but there's no time to go into exactly why. But just know that the, that is discussed by, uh, by the Chassam Sofer and others. Okay, so... And some add... Right. Okay, so now here comes another fun part. Before we say the Kiddush, before we do the Hagefen, the Minhag is to, do, to say Savrei Maranan which is um, basically uh, by, your, by your leave or by your, by your uh, permission, my masters. And then, as, as, long as, as long as you're Sfaradi, they answer L'chaim, right, to life. And then the, the, the leader responds, So why do we say Savrei Maranan? And also, why do we say Birshut when, uh, when we raise the bread? So this go this minha goes back as far at least as of Haigaon, because we have the, the time of the Gonim, because we have a teshuvah from the Shibole Haleket from uh, sorry, a Tshuva in the Shibole Haleket from Rav Haigaon discussing why we're Marshin Lipat and Savrin for, for Geffen. Why do we ask Rashut for bread? Why do we ask Savri for wine? And there's a halachic discussion about why why there's this there is this discrepancy. Why do I need to ask permission for the bread, yet only call attention? Savi Maranan, do I have your attention? Are you, are you, uh, uh, I'm by, by your permission or by your attention, my, my masters, for the wine? And they get the different Rishonim, including of Haigaon, they give different halachic reasons why one is more appropriate than the other, based on if you're being mozi people, whether or not they could answer Amen. There's various different contradictory um, opinions here. We, we could spend a nice long time on that. I, I felt like it would be best a, l- a little bit to to, um, to to avoid that discussion. But what you should know, what, what you need to know is that the Savri Maranan aspect, the asking permission and the asking Rashut, this is Aramaic and it goes as far back as the time of the Geonim, 
when Aramaic was already spoken, and there are, there are halachic reasons for why we do it, which involve calling the other people and asking them for their attention to be motzi them to fulfill their obligation. But the languages are different because of different scenarios, different halachic scenarios, whether people are in the middle of eating or before they're eating, whether they can eat or not eat, different scenarios like that. So now the, the um, custom was, even in Europe, in, uh, in Western Europe, uh, by, by uh, Ashkenazim, many times to say, to say, Savim Aranan, and to answer L'chaim. Even by Birkat Hamazon, they would do this. So the Rishonim offer different suggestions as to why. Why would you say Savim Aranan and then answer L'chaim, to life? It literally makes no sense. Uh, by, your, by your attention, my masters, to life. Like, what does that even mean? So the Abu Durham gives a nice summary of the different reasons he heard. The first reason is based on the Gemara Sanhedrin, Dafim Gimel Medalef, which says that before they took a person out for capital punishments, before they were going to kill him, uh, before a court was going to kill him via capital punishment, they would feed him, they would give him the a very strong wine in order to, uh, you know, desensitize him, drive him a little crazy, so that he shouldn't feel the pain of the sekila. And therefore, because we used to give people wine before killing them. So, so here we say l'chayim, meaning for life, but not for mavet. If you think about it, that's a very strange and bizarre association. Why would we assume that every cup of wine that everybody ever drinks is for a death row uh, inmate? It's a very strange reason given. And he, and he's, he again, agrees that this is a very, the, the Abu Durham points out that this is, again, not, not, not a uh, very uh, logical reason. Another reason which is given by the, the Abu Durham mentions is that Adam Harishalon ate from the Eitz Hadat, which itself was a grapevine, and that brought death to the world. Therefore, when we drink wine, we say L'chaim, meaning it's for life, it's not for death. Um, last, this is funny, this, two, three days ago, somebody in my yeshiva called me because I discussed this with him a month ago. And he's like, what was that shot you told me about L'chaim? And I told him over what I said, and he said, I, I was just learning in Parashat Shemini, the, the Das Zakenim and Taisfes, and the Bali Tosafot have a different spin on this. And they say that Adam Hari, basically by uh, Viyayan al Tisht, in the Das Zakenim, the Bali Tosafot say on the Chumash, they, they start speaking about all the evils of drinking wine, and they say that, that Adam Harishon, uh, during his marriage to Chava, drank wine. It got him drunk, and because of the, the wine that he drank, he uh, committed the sin of eating from the Eitz Hadat. That's what the Baleotos would say. And for that reason, when we say Safim Aranan, we say L'chaim, that this wine should be for life and not for death. Another spin on this, another, another spin on this uh, theory. Now, this is all nice and fine if, what they, if the correct uh, language is L'chaim. However, the Budurham and the Orchot Chaim uh, say very clearly that the Minhag in Spain was never to say L'chaim. The minhag in Spain was to answer lechaye, lamid chet yud yud. So, as anybody who's familiar with the Gemara will know, lechaye in Aramaic means very well or yes. So, according to the Budurham, the most sensible and logical conclusion is that when you ask Savri Maranan, you're asking in Aramaic, "Do I have your attention, my masters?" And the answer is lechaye, yes, very well. And according to the Abu Durham, the most sensible and logical conclusion is that the original, uh, the original minhag was to answer, to call in Aramaic and answer in Aramaic, l'chaye. And, and 
eventually people didn't know what l'chaye meant, and they thought it meant l'chayim, because they couldn't either l'chaye, l'chayi, whatever they said, people thought they were saying l'chayim, and they interpreted it to mean l'chayim later. So if true, this would be a very uh, amusing uh, history to why people today say l'chayim. They say it because it makes no sense. Basically, when people answer to life, they're saying something that literally makes no sense, and it's simply a corruption of the original Aramaic word, which was very well, and it has nothing to do with the word l'chayim. Uh, so this does, the Temanim until today, by the way, do still say l'chayim. If you look in a Temanisi door, they, they reply uh, l'chayim in Aramaic rather than a Hebrew word like l'chayim. Also, you should know that uh, l'chayim is, is uh, similar to, the, the Aramaic word of l'chayim is similar to the Greek word, uh, Athenian Greek word, lachia, which meant uh, it should be beautiful. It's a very similar uh, word. So it's debatable where the Ashkenaz term of a, like a Jewish, where the, the term l'chaim, like a Jewish toast, came from. You could say that it came from the term to, to reply l'chaim to Savi Maranan. You could also say it just comes from that blessing that people say l'chaim toivim l'shalom. So it's not clear exactly what the history is, but um, it could all have evolved from a, from a mistake, which is you know, the, the humor of history. So now, the next part of the Kiddush is the Brachot, right? We say, Abori Priya Gefen, and then we say, We say that he blessed us with his mitzvot, and then he desired in us. And he desired in his Shabbat, with a love and desire, he, he bequeathed, he, uh, uh, what's the word? He uh, gave us his holy Shabbat Zikaron Bereshit, which is a remembrance for the 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 act of creation. Techila lemikrei kodesh is the first of the callings of holy zecher litziat mitzrayim, a remembrance for uh, for the the exodus from Egypt. V'shabbat kochah be'avav ratzon hichotanu, and the uh, holy Shabbat with love and with with uh, with uh, will you have given to us. Baruchat Hashem, blessed are you, Hashem. Mikadesh Shabbat, who sanctifies the Shabbat. So a few notes about this really quickly. Um, first of all, the language is very similar in most early sources and still is very similar. That's a very good sign of its antiquity and that means very much so that it's likely composed by the Anshei Knesset themselves because there's very few variations on the Nusach itself. Another point is that the... The Barcha doesn't say Asher Kedushanu Svetavit Sivanu, right? Why doesn't it say Asher Kedushanu Svetavit Sivanu Lekadeshet Hashabbat, right? Like like all of our other mitzvot. The answer is very simple. The original Takana of the Anshei Knesset was that Kiddush was done Bidvarim, and the mitzvah Dioraita, the mitzvah of the Torah, is to to sanctify Shabbat with words. So you can't really phrase it like that. You can't say Asher Kedushanu Sotavitzivanu Likadesh HaShabbat because that would imply that you're doing something after saying the bracha while saying the bracha itself uh, is already fulfilling your obligation, if you understand what I mean. So by saying Asher Kedushanu Sotavitzivanu Likadesh HaShabbat, that would be like over Lasiatan, but that's not what's happening. With the actual words that you're saying, you're already being, you're already being the Kayim, the Mitzvah. Therefore, it's not phrased in, in that way of Asher Kedushanu Svotav Vitzivanu. Instead, it's Asher Kedushanu Svotav Viratzavanu, and who desired in us. Uh, another thing to point out is that it doesn't, it's not a brachas mucha lechaverta. Right? If you remember by a wedding, 
we say sos tasis hakara. It doesn't start beruchata Hashem. Why? Because it's continuing from the bracha before. Over here, we're also continuing from the bracha before of hagefen, but it still starts beruchata Hashem, and that is because the Anshe Knesset Hagadola originally made the takana of kiddush independent of wine, and eventually later they added wine as an essential component of the kiddush, as the Gemara itself attests uh, attests to in brachot. Okay, so much for that. Um, the Rishonim discuss as to why it needs to be both Zecher L'Tziat Mitzrayim and Zecher L'Maaseh Bereshit. Zecher L'Maaseh Bereshit is well understood. Um, Shabbat recalls the, the act of creation because Hashem desisted from creating the world on the seventh day. However, how does it remember the Exodus? Some interpret it not to mean that it's remembering the Exodus, but Ki Hu Yom Kodesh, and all of those are Zecher L'Tziat Mitzrayim. So, so to Shabbat, which is greater than the Mikrai Kodesh, must also be Zecher L'Tziat Mitzrayim. The Ramban says, no, even Shabbat is Zecher L'Tziat Mitzrayim because it reminds, of, reminds us of an, of an omnipotent God who can be Mechadesh Chadashim. He could also create new things, and that is the act of a creator. You'll find the Ashkenaz version says, Ki hu yom Mikrai Kodesh. Uh, the Grud didn't actually like that insertion, but those are some of the minor uh, insertions that evolved over, that didn't evolve, but kind of cross-pollinated over the years. There were, but mostly the bracha stayed essentially, at least in its content, virtually the same over the past uh, 1,500 years. So it's a very good sign of its uh, antiquity. The last element we'll talk about is something I actually spoke about almost four months ago, the last element of Kiddush. And I hope we have enough time because we've Already done a lot. Okay, yeah, we should have enough time. And that is Birchat Habanim. So we know that uh, there's, uh, you know, that Rizal says when you come home, you're supposed to say Shabbat Shalom out loud, possibly kiss the, kiss the hands of your mother, all the various Kabbalistic things which are listed in Tikkunei Shabbat. Um, but there's another element, and also to say Mishnayot of, uh, the Mishnayot of Mesechet Shabbat, there's another minhag, which is that the father will bless the children, or the mother will bless the children. This comes from the Pasuk in Vayechi, that the Yaakov Avinu gave a blessing to his children, saying, that Hashem shall bless you like Ephraim. With you, Yaakov Avinu told Ephraim that for future generations, the Jewish people will bless their children in this language, that God shall make you as blessed as Ephraim and Menashe. This would make most people assume, especially if you see Rashi on that pasuk, that this minhag is as old as the hills. It's a mitzvah do'araita. We should bless our children and say, So of course this minhag of blessing our children when we come home from shul is a do'araita or, or it's as old as the hills. But the truth is that this, the, the minhag in its form as it is today is actually quite recent. It was only, uh, we only have, a, the earliest record we have of it in its contemporary form is from the Maveria book in the 1500s. Before this, we don't have any evidence that such a minhag, uh, that, that a minhag practiced as the way we do it today um, is, uh, in its form, we don't, have, we don't have any evidence of that before the 1500s. So, this 
is not practiced, obviously, by all Jewish households, just some. And the, the idea is that the, the, the son or, the, or the, the father or the mother will put their hands or hand on top of the, of the child, and they will say this, and they would also say, They'll also say, So there are hints to this earlier than the 1500s. The Maveria book and the Sefer HaChayim, they mentioned this minhag already in the 16th century, that this became a minhag in uh, in uh, Frankfurt, but and in Worms. However, there there we find hints of something similar earlier. If you look in the Vod- in Sidur Avodat Yisrael from Bayer, he lists these minhagim. He says that the Sfaradim who lived in Amsterdam, after um, before Shul on Friday night, and after Kriyat Torah and after Havdalah, the Sfaradim in Amsterdam had the minhag to do this, to, to put their hands over their son's head and say, and to give them birkat kohanim, to give them a bracha, so to speak. If you look in the Chuvot HaMaharil, the, the, the minhagim, at all the way at the end, there's a section called Hilchot Simachot, which is basically the, the laws of Avelut. And over there, it recalls an episode where the Mari Segel, at the end of his life, he lost his wife. And... It describes all of the minhagim he uh, did when he lost his wife and how he uh, conducted himself after during his avelut. And one of the things it says is that on that Shabbat, he didn't bless his sons in the way he normally did on Shabbat. So it seems from the placement of that text that it means that he used to do it either after or before he went to shul. And we see this also from Rabbeinu Ephraim. He says the same thing, that the minhag in Ashkenaz earlier was to give a blessing, people, men would give blessings to their sons before, uh, I think it was after shul, um, after Leil Shabbat. So already in the, in the time of the Rishonim, there was this minhag that fathers would bless their sons on Shabbat night, but to do it by Kiddush, like officially as a part of the Kiddush, uh, that didn't develop until a few hundred years uh, later. In the Bissamim Rosh already, he complains that uh, that people are neglecting this minhag. It's so important. It's so beautiful. And there's many different reasons given as to why this minhag uh, exists. Why specifically on Friday night? The Maveria book and the Avets, they suggest different reasons. First of all, the Tzinorot of Bracha are open. All the conduits of blessing are open. The Shekhinah is coming down. There's 22 conduits, Kabbalistically, of blessing. Therefore, because there's so many conduits of blessing, it's, it's apropos to give a blessing, especially to the Ketanim, to the miners who have no sin. And this blessing will flow as a conduit through them into the household. That's one reason they give. Another is that the Satan has no Shlita. He has no power on Shabbat. Therefore, he cannot object to any of the, of the brachot you give. Another reason they give is because the Malach Hara is there. And because the Malach Hara is there, he has to answer Amen Bal Korcho. He has to answer Amen against his will. Therefore, we should say a bracha while the Malach Hara is there. Another reason they give is because of Shalom Bayit. And that is that families often have tensions and families often bicker. And it's a very effective way of fathers and mothers telling their children they love them, even if they uh, might not like them at that moment, they still love them, and it's a good way of um, promoting shalom bayit and easing tensions between parents and children. Another reason they give is that you have a second neshama that brings more kedusha into the household, and therefore it's worthy of a bracha. 
I remember when I spoke uh, about this in uh, Yismach Moshe, right, in the, in the shul, um, I went into far more of the halachic discussion about whether or not it's appropriate to use one hand or two hands. And there's a, a disagreement in the post-scheme about whether it's appropriate to use two hands when you're saying birkat kohanim if you're not a kohen. Some believe it's a problem, some believe it's not a problem, which is why you find a discrepancy between some fathers and mothers who will, you, who will just use one hand when giving this bracha, some fathers and mothers will use both hands. Either way is good. Um, I, and I mentioned lastly, just the last thing we'll speak about, is the, um, just I, I said over from the chief rabbi, the, la- the late chief rabbi of England, Lord Jacobowitz, he said that he believes that of all the um, brachot in the Torah, that there are many times in the Torah that that uh, somebody blessed somebody else. But of all the brachot in the Torah, we chose this one. That's, that's what people seem to have, have chosen to be the bracha for, for a Friday night. And his suggestion for why that was true is because it's the only time you find in the Torah a case where a grandparent is blessing his grandchildren. Most other times you find a Rebbe blessing his Talmud, a father blessing his son, uh, a, a student blessing his master in the Torah, but you never find a. Uh, this is the only place you find a grandfather, meaning Yaakov Avinu, blessing a grandchild. And what's special about that relationship is that parents and children can often have tensions. They can often have disagreements. They could often have many different uh, problems in a family. But when it comes to grandparents, their love is basically unconditional because everyone knows that grandparents have zero responsibilities, typically. And therefore, it's just pure, unadulterated love. And it's not uh, bound by any tensions. It's not bound by any uh, feelings, negative feelings. And therefore, the, the uh, blessing of a grandparent is particularly notable for its uh, level of love. And therefore, this was chosen as a very pure blessing of love to give our children on Friday night. So this, this so much concludes the um, liturgical elements of the Kiddush by night. Um, I'm sure there are passages that somebody says, which I haven't touched upon, and little and little items that, you know, we can still cover. I'm debating if next, next week we should start with the Shachrit, or if we should look at the Zemirot of Shabbat, so we'll gauge the interest on that, and Bezrat um, Hashem, we will continue uh, next week. So, Todah and thank you everybody for coming.